Uh, we've been going through a series on First Peter for the last several months. First uh, Peter is a book that addresses those who are being persecuted and those who are suffering. And this type of suffering is, some of it's verbal, uh, some of it's physical, and some of it's not just, when I say physical, people are being stoned, crucified, thrown in a, you know, an arena with animals and eaten, eaten alive. Um, and so this has been all set up because um, Nero has turned the people of Rome against the Christians, <clears throat> accusing the Christians of burning their city down. And so the Christians are on the run. Roman citizens are angry at the Christians and are running after them and want to cause great harm to them. And so Peter's coming along just to get you back up to speed, and he is ministering to the elders who are ministering to the people that are all over the place. It's not like the elders that Peter's addressing is saying, hey, let's just come over to the church of Peter or whatever and say, hey, I'm going to minister. You're just, you're just here in my little building and flock or theater. No, these people are scattered all over the region, all over the place. And they don't have phones, and they don't got iPhones, and they don't got internet, and they don't got Zoom. They don't have any of that kind of technology. They're, they're forced to go in all these different scattered places to minister to intensely hurting people. And so it's not like a little text you could give someone and say, man, I'm praying for you. No, there's no texting ability. All right. So <clears throat> I'm going to frame things up and, and express that the <clears throat> today and back then that we struggle with what I will throw out to you and to myself and we'll call it lostness. In Madeline L. Ingo's book, a Severed Wasp, there's a section of it written by George Orwell. One of his essays talks about a very graphic image of human lostness. Orwell describes a wasp. So, you know, a little wasp, the things that sting you, kind of like a bee, but not really. Um, <clears throat> a wasp was flying around, and it landed down on this man's um, picnic lunch, which basically was a plate of, of a, a a sandwich, a peanut butter and jam sandwich. So the, the wasp came down and, and <clears throat> began sucking onto, sucking the jam on the plate where his sandwich was, or jam sandwich was, <clears throat> and began to suck this jam. And so Oro describes the fact that he didn't like this very much, so he took his, his little knife on the side of his plate and picked it up and cut the wasp in half. And so <clears throat> the wasp continued to suck on the jam and drinking it as if nothing happened. But at the same time, Orwell could see jam trickling through the backside of the esophagus of the severed wasp. Only when the wasp tried to fly away did he grasp the dreadful thing that happened to him. So, this illustration, Josh, is for you. It's graphic, so you can remember it for little kids to like it. Now, I think adults could understand this too. But <clears throat> the point here, the people and wasp without Christ have much in common. Severed from their souls, but greedy and unaware, people continue to consume the sweetness of this world, of this life, 
but are unaware that they have been fooled and distracted and don't realize how lost they really are. Only when the time comes to fly away will they grasp the dreadful, the dreadful condition and lostness and brokenness that they're in. I like this graphic picture of lostness and helplessness because it is a pretty good picture of what human beings are like. Because <clears throat> um, if we don't have Jesus Christ as our shepherd, we are like people without a shepherd. Um, we are lost, and so we run to our what we think would make us feel better or make us happy, and so we run to those things, whatever it may be, the sweetness of this world, the things that maybe appeal to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the blissful pride of life. And so I think this illustration can speak to two people, and Jesus is going to address two types of people, those outside his flock that are indulging into this um, sweetness, and I believe there are people inside his flock they don't find Jesus all that satisfying, but they find themselves in a church. But they're kind of like, hey, I'll take a little bit of Jesus and believe and trust him. But I also want to jam on the jam of this world or the traditions of this world. And I want to follow the traditions of man higher than the scriptures that God has put out. And so there's this kind of mixed blendedness in your experience in your Christian life. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 37, Jesus went out throughout all the cities, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Why? Because he could see not just what they were doing on the outside, but he could also see and sense what's happening down on the inside of human beings. And so he knew um, that they were harassed and helpless. He knew the, of their lostness and brokenness. And so he had compassion upon them. This word compassion is an intense word in the Greek language. It's to have an emotional response down at the level of your bowels. Um, <clears throat> your emotions and your bowels are connected together. I don't know if you've ever felt terrible and you had a bad stomach ache. Those things are connected. Um, it, it's probably a, your, your mind, your whole holistic being is all connected. What you think, what you feel, your emotion, your guts, your spiritual life, it's all one huge dynamic that works together. And so as Jesus looked upon the crowds and he saw their spiritual state, he literally makes a simple statement. He says they are like sheep without a shepherd. And so I don't know where you're at in relationship to the shepherd, in this room, and you may know people outside this room that, that are lost and, drink, and drinking the jam of this world and don't know the shepherd well. I want you to know that this, there's a message here for, for all of us here or outside this room. I, I know statistically that you're in and around the triangle, and there are a lot of churches, big, small new and old. The church is 22 months old, so I guess it's a toddler. Um, so we're a young church. Um, but my understanding that still two-thirds or three-quarters of this region don't go to church. Um, I assume if they don't go to church, they would be generally lost. 
in this, in this world, there are seven-ish billion people. I want you to know a lot of people are still not reached, depending on the statistics you read. There's still at least a couple billion people that have never heard the gospel. Um, maybe four to five billion have heard the gospel, have been around the gospel. Out of that five billion-ish people, I don't know how many are saved. I'm not God. Maybe two, maybe three billion. I'm not sure. Um, depending how you discern exactly what a Christian looks like. But um, <clears throat> Peter wants to speak to you. Jesus wants to speak to you. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to you in your lostness today. And so I'm going to review briefly from the last couple of weeks, and then we're going to focus the rest of the message on the verses that were read. Um, we're framing this up in a series of question and answer to talk about the shepherd-sheep relationship. So the first question that we asked a couple of weeks ago is, what are the dynamics of shepherding? And in this particular case, we talked about the fact that Peter is a fellow elder to the elders um, that Peter is addressing that are serving and shepherding those who are in a distressed, hard, difficult situation. And a couple footnotes with elder. Elders are qualified men. They, they're over, when I say qualified by spiritual qualifications. They, they look like and act like Christ. Not that it's perfect because we're human, but they have a general direction of Christ-likeness and degree of consist- consistency. Um, these elders are, are men, and they oversee the flock, they shepherd the flock, and they protect the flock. And so he addresses them in this way. So he says, so I exhort the elders among you. He's not coming on top of them with a special authority. He's literally saying, hey, I'm an elder, you're an elder, and we're going to encourage each other with elder-type encouragement and fellowship. He says, I'm a fellow elder, a witness and suffering of Christ. He himself saw um, Christ's suffering, and so did, assumingly, these elders too. So he is qualified to speak on suffering and, and qualified to encourage them. He also says that he is, a, he's a well, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed one day in the future. So this is the elder dynamic in terms of qualification and him knowing the gospel as well as these other elders knowing the gospel. The second question we looked at briefly a few weeks ago is who must be shepherded? Peter answers this question in the first part of verse 2. He calls the elders at that time with a scattered flock in many ways. He says to shepherd the, sh- the flock of God among you. Those who are in God, those who are in Christ, you are, to, you are called to shepherd the flock of God among you. And, and I translated it for us. I have a responsibility and our leadership team has a responsibility and calling to shepherd the flock among you. We're not called to shepherd every single sheep around the world or the sheep at my friend's church or whatever. Our primary responsibility is to shepherd the flock of God among us. And so um, so that's in play. At Rooted Church, we talked about two ways, two primary vehicles in which we shepherd is on Sunday, we have a covenant for those who have become members to come on Sunday, participate, learn, engage, grow. And we also shepherd um, through our regional growth groups. I, I'm, I'm not God. I can't be in every place. And so we have leaders that are trained and are growing and developing. We want every one of you to be in a, in a relationship that it that's accountable, that's sharpening, that's edifying, that's family-like, that's truth-proclaiming, um, <clears throat> a community that's loving, that expresses uh, the one another's serve, love, 
care, pray, carry one another's burdens, uh, many aspects of the one another's in the New Testament. So that's the regional growth groups. And so on Sunday, I'm able to minister kind of like air warfare, broadly applying and speaking God's word in growth groups. It's more personal. It's face-to-face. You're able to minister God's word more specifically. And beyond that, we encourage you to meet up for coffee, hang out, and encourage each other and disciple one another. So that's question number two and answer number two. Um, Question number three is, how must shepherding be done? And so we see that in verse two and three. Peter basically gets super practical here and answers the question from both the negative and positive side of how the elders are to shepherd the sheep. And so he says they are to exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. You don't need to twist their arms. They really want to serve and help people um, as God <coughs> would have you, not for shameful game, but eagerly, not domineering over those who are charged, but by being examples of the flock. Um, when you look at your leaders, your elders, you want to see men who are following Jesus Christ. And you yourself want to follow Christ and know follow Christ. So you follow them as they follow Christ. And that's kind of how it looks like. And so we're to today. So that brings us all the way up to speed to the last couple questions. And that brings us to question four. Why must shepherds serve? Or why must shepherds shepherd? And so Peter's going to speak and address this question. What is the motivation for shepherds to shepherd? Is it for fame? Is it for status? Is it for us to write books and make a lot of money? Trust me, I've written no books and I've made no money in terms of writing royalty, but other pastors do that kind of stuff. Some of them make a ton of money. Um, Some they give back to the kingdom. Others buy big cars and big houses. So I can't judge their heart why they do what they do. That's just what they do. Um, But I do want you to see... The motivation that Peter wants his elders to have as they shepherd their particular flock that they are called to. So Peter's trying to offer the best kind of encouragement. He's not trying to say, hey, you know, you know, this is worth it kind of encouragement or, you know, it'll make you feel good to help other kind of encouragement. He's trying to give them the best kind of encouragement at all. Of all. And so in verse 4, he says this When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There's two things I want you to see here the chief shepherd, when he appears, and then what you will receive, the unfading crown of glory. So I want to explain a little bit first who the chief shepherd is. (laughs) This chief shepherd in the Old Testament was understood to be the Messiah. He was the anointed one. Actually, there's a ton of verses, <clears throat> particularly in the major and minor prophets, and even in the Psalms, that talk about a coming Messiah, a coming anointed Savior, who's also understood to be the shepherd. One, uh, one example is in Zechariah, chapter 13, verse 7 where it says this, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. There's a lot to be said here, but at least I want to highlight two truths. 
when the Lord of hosts refers to my shepherd, theologians across the board know this to be the true shepherd and ultimately to be Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah. And we also see the effects when there is no shepherd, when the shepherd is, is, is stricken, what happened to the sheep? They scatter and run. And so it says and speaks of the implied need for a shepherd to shepherd sheep. In the New Testament, again, the title chief shepherd or shepherd is repeated um, several times over. I'm just going to give you one in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. This is a benediction to the book of Hebrews. It says here, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead, from from, our de- from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Again, the same idea. We looked at chief shepherd. Here we have the term great shepherd. And it's the great shepherd of the sheep. And so these are all connected where in the Old Testament there is a Messiah that would come. Um, a shepherd would come. And it's answered in the New Testament. I could give you so many uh, verses on this, but I just, just chose to give you two. That Jesus is a great shepherd. And he's come, he's come for a number of reasons to answer, answer um, prophecy. He's come to participate in God's um, rescue mission. He's come to deliver us. He's come to live the perfect life and to restore brokenness. He's come to ransom the lost, those who are spiritually impoverished, those who are spiritually bankrupt, to be redeemed <clears throat> by the finished work of the cross. And ultimately, he comes to restore those who are broken, to be satisfied, to be whole in Christ Jesus. In one sense, he says he's the living water. He's the bread of life. And he offers something so much better than jam, <laughs> the jam <clears throat> of this fallen world. And so my question for you, are you like this severed wasp drinking the jam of this world? And you're drinking, you're drinking, you're just thinking, hey, this is going to satisfy me. And when you're done with this jam, you're like, man, that was good at the moment, but really I feel kind of unsatisfied. And so if this is you, Jesus is saying, hey, those are my creation, those are my good gifts, but I offer you so much more. I offer you life through personal relationship, through Jesus Christ, through faith and repentance, through the finished work on the cross, <clears throat> Jesus says, as Mike read earlier, come to me, come to Jesus, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, all who are burdened, come and turn to Jesus and find rest for your soul, find satisfaction for your soul. And so Jesus says to come. So if you've never done this, or if you're not sure you're a Christian, Jesus invites you to come to him, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, into his fold and to be saved and to know the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Practically, Jesus um, is the shepherd and he shepherds your life. He shepherds the church and he shepherds through under shepherds and pastors in the life of the church. And there's two basic concepts and it's seen in this next picture. The rod and the staff. The rod and the staff. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. These are strange things to talk about, but these are biblical terms that are, that are used. 
And I'll be honest, it's hard to know exactly when to use the rod and when to use the staff. Um, you can study about sheep and you know the characteristics and you know sheep have a tendency not to be the smartest. They eat things indiscriminately. They'll eat things that are good or, or bad for them. They tend to wander. Uh, they tend to get lost. And so when I think of church sheep... Um, Church sheep are interesting too. I think at the very basic level, every single one of us has a desire to to be on mission. We want to do something great. And the great mission that God wants to call us to is in the mission of making disciples. But I think as sheep, sometimes we get lost in other missions, little missions. And a lot of times I think they're diversions to the gospel. Uh, I think there's a sense that we want the truth, and sometimes we want the best truth, and sometimes the next hottest or coolest thing seems like a better truth than the gospel, and so we see sheep run after all these other random truths that they think is the truth, and they might be things that are more highlighted in different ways. Um, On the church world, it's stuff like, you know, the seeker church is the way to do it, or the growth church is the way to do it. Um, in other cases, it could be this new book that says things in a very interesting and dynamic way, and it's more about the creativity of this writing versus the Word of God. Um, sometimes people like church history above the Word of God, and that's problematic too, or church tradition above the Word of God, and those things are all problematic. And so Jesus wants to shepherd us into his truth, into his grace. And so um, just a little bit about the rod. Um, Rods were basically used to fight off animals, um, wild animals um, that may come around the sheep. And so a shepherd would, you know, do his thing to fight off the animals and, and then redirect the sheep and prod them in the right direction. There are times that a rod would be used to, to break the legs of the sheep because they're just really stubborn and not getting it. And so that would hurt the sheep's little legs. But the shepherd doesn't say, hey, you know, I'm going to leave you there with broken legs. The shepherd picks up the sheep, puts them on his neck, and carries that sheep to the point that they're better again. Um, um, the, the, the flip side, the staff... It can be used in a couple of different ways when the sheep re- resist um, God's truth. This, <clears throat> the staff could be used um, in, in a very firm way to, to bring a sheep back and say, hey, no, this is the way to go. And so they'll hook them firmly and with authority and pull them back into the sheepfold, into the right direction so that they won't walk into harm's way. And so this happens, I want you to know, through your pastors and also through Jesus working in your life. I, know, I can't say this is every time, but that God uses trials and circumstances to speak messages to you. And there's other passages like Hebrew 12 that talks about God being a, a parent and he disciplines the children whom he loves. And so... <clears throat> And so God functions in that way. So I just want you to know, Jesus is our chief shepherd, and ultimately he's going to play out the rod and staff functions in the life of your life and his church, especially if you are truly, truly his. And so 
Um, that's, that's question, I'm just focusing on the chief shepherd, how he functions. Um, there's a couple of footnotes I'm going to dive into a little bit. I'll just call footnote number one, and I don't know how to talk about this very well, but I've agonized over this section, and I'm going to try to give it to you in the most simple and salient perspective. Um, by spiritual gift, I'm gifted in the area of prophecy or proclaiming truth. And so that could be cold to you at times, but you're getting the truth. But my hope is that the Spirit of God and sanctification is also happening in my life, and there's compassion and sensitivity. So I think last week, a few weeks ago, maybe you might feel like it's all the time, but definitely about a month ago, I was talking about how as Christians— um, when we're suffering, what do we run to? And I mentioned a couple things. A lot of times we could run to movies or video games. And the other thing that we run to at times could be drugs or antidepressants. And I said it in an unkind way, uh, a flippant way, without much grace, without much gentleness, without much self-control on my part. And I just want to say I am very sorry um, for lacking compassion, lacking the Holy Spirit work in my life to talk about a very sensitive and personal issue that's real and that people experience. Um, people close to me experience <clears throat> depression in a very severe way and also mental health in the mental health world too. And so I want to say loud and clear a couple things. One, I'm very sorry for my flippant negative attitude. I want you to know that my attitude is nothing like what Jesus' attitude is toward you. I want you to know that Jesus Christ, there's a reason why he became the God-man. There's a reason why. Because he wanted to experience humanness. He wanted to be our high priest and sympathetic, sympathize with any human emotion, physical ailment, um, spiritual plight, relational or social challenge, and he wanted to know it even on the biological and physiological level. Um, literally, I gave a lot of you guys a book that talks about Christ from the perspective that he is and was a human being. So I want you to hear me loud and clear. Jesus Christ is your sympathetic high priest, and he sympathized with you big time to his father. At the same time, I want to put out a few more things to just munch on as we are human beings that are relational, that are social, that are spiritual, that are mental, um, <clears throat> and we have a whole dynamic to us. Um, God, I want you to know that God made us ultimately for him. And that's a big statement. It comes out, of, I believe, Colossians chapter 3. God, no, Colossians chapter 2. He made us for him. And so... God, knowing this, a lot of our answers are found in Christ Jesus. Um, in Second Peter chapter three, verse one, this is a verse I wrestle with as I think about the different options and, and our own growth and sanctification the most. It's Second Peter chapter one, verse three says this: His divine power has granted past tense to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. 
So if I'm reading this verse at face value, God has given us divine resources for life, things in this life, and for our growth in terms of godliness. And so I just know that this is a divine resource that God has given to us, um, to his church, to the sheep in his fold. And so, um, so just munch on that in, in a very good and healthy way. At the same time, I want to say that when it comes to treatment, um, this is the interesting thing. Prior to Christ, we have a history of three to 4,000 years. And up to the 1900s, we have a history of that many years that did not have the type of medicine that we have today. And so Christ's church was ministered through Christ and his word in that time and that way. Definitely in the last 50 years, a lot of medicine has been made available. And so the question is, how do we use the medicine that's made available today? And so I want to say to use it wisely, okay? Medicine is, can be very good, and there's some cautions I want to put out there. <clears throat> so when I say wisely, as doctor prescribe medicine, um, you want them to prescribe medicine for a very specific diagnosis. If you truly are indeed have chemical imbalances, you want to know a correct diagnosis. And you want the medicine you receive, right, to fit what you're physiologically going through. Does that make sense? It, you want them to go connect together. You, want, you don't want people to just throw random medicines at you just for the fun of it or because there's money involved. Um, I have doctor friends that say from the pharmacy, we want you to peddle this medicine because this is the going medicine for fill in the blank. And so there's pressure in that world. And I just want to put a caution out there. But I also want to say this in the best way possible. Today, we have a unique means of grace. If medicine is required to bring a sense of balance and sanity to you in your mind and heart, there's a place for that, um, to bring you to that level, to, to, to think right, um, to, to be healthy. We want, you to be, we want to minister to people healthy across the board, mentally, emotionally, relationally, socially, the whole package together. Um, and the, with medicine, the whole goal is not for long-term or to be codependent, is to use it as needed and to get off it, like any other kind of medicine. When I have a headache, I only need it as needed, or else it's bad for you long-term. And so it's the same with the mental health world or antidepressant drug. Need, use it as needed, as fitted. And so I hope that's coming off well. Um, seriously, I can't do everything in sermon. There are big, long books on this stuff. Um, I want you to know my heart. I love you, and Jesus loves you even more. And I want to shepherd you super well, as best I can. And it's beyond my skills or ability. I will point you to others that have a strong doctrinal perspective and a strong medical perspective that brings the two together super well. Um, I hope you guys are catching on to the the heart of what I'm trying to share behind this. Um, and ultimately, Jesus Christ is your shepherd. And ultimately, Jesus Christ is your healer. Um, whether he says, I'm just going to heal you divinely or through medicine, or I'm going to heal you in the life to come. 
God, Jesus Christ is ultimately the healer. I just don't know which way he'll heal you or, or me or whoever. Um, so I'll stop there, but I just want you to know that this is not a closed-door conversation. I want us to learn and grow and think through um, this whole process together. And so there's, I just want to say all the compassion I can muster up um, for me goes out to you, wherever you're, whatever you're facing. And I want to say divinely, Jesus offers every resource toward you, wherever you may find yourself. And he wants to shepherd you well um, with his grace and with his truth. And so... Um, and I'll stop and just move on from this. But I want you to know that this is the area of shepherding, and so that's why I'm talking about it. And I want to try to keep the doors wide open and that you feel safe to talk about this kind of stuff too. Um, I know it's very personal and sensitive. So that's that. Um, the latter part of this verse literally says, we're going to skip some sections. For these shepherds, that they would what receive a crown of glory. They don't serve the. They don't shepherd for the, for their own glory. They shepherd to glorify God, and for the good of people. And they do so with a heart of faithfulness, and they do so with a heart of love, and they do so with conviction that they are participating in God's divine work to build a church. Um, not just a whole bunch of people to be their best friends or, you know, the best hangout group or just the next cool thing or to have a multi-ethnic look or whatever. I say that because a lot of people have come here recently because we have a multi-ethnic feel. I want people to come because of Jesus. I want this church to be founded upon Jesus and not the tradition of man. I don't want this church to be Baptistic. I don't want to be Presbyterian. I don't want it to be whatever else. I want this church to be founded upon Christ and his word. That's the main thing. I want you to hear that loud and clear. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 to 15, Jesus explains the work of the, <clears throat> a worker in the church and what the responsibility and how the work is supposed to go about. And when I've seen this passage as a young believer, I'm like, oh, this reminds me of the three little pigs. And you'll know why. Because a certain type of material is used in good work. And a certain type of material is used in work that doesn't last so well. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses, I mean 3, verses 9 to 15, Paul is speaking. He says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. It's not talking about a physical building. It's talking about people here. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else, someone else, is building upon it. Each one, let each one take care how he builds upon it. Verse 11. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's what we want to do. Verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, or precious metal, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will be manifested, for the, day will dis <coughs> for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test the work each one has done. This is pretty intense. 
God wants us to build his church upon good, so <clears throat> gold, silver, and precious metal. The quality aspects of God's word and the Holy Spirit, not wood, hay, and straw. When I say wood, hay, and straw, that could be human effort, great multimedia, traditions, um, <clears throat> and other stuff. And so in the end, we'll see what our church and other churches were built upon. Uh, we'll see it. It may, it may show itself in, in this time, but we'll definitely know in the life to come. And so we see what will happen in verse 15. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. And though he, and though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. My friends, when I look at these passages and I think about myself and my role, this is very humbling. It's a sober calling to be a pastor. And it's a daunting task to think, hey, I'm shepherding souls. And my hope is to do it rightly and do it in a God-honoring way that one day the Lord would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I think if you know me, I don't think about the applause of man very much. <laughs> Even though maybe my little ego may want a little bit, I really just don't think about it much. Because if I get it caught up in that, man, I'm just going to be all messed up. Is it going to come? Are people going to say, this is great, Gary? I, my heart is really simply to put the Word of God out for you as clearly as possible so you could see it for what it is and that you would eat it, that you would digest it, that you would believe it, that you would live it, that you would own it. And you'd be part of this church that Christ is growing. Question number five, how are members to relate to shepherds? This is flowing through the text still yet more. Shepherds are to be subject to the elders. In verse 5, as Peter talks about how members are to relate to their shepherds, he says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. This is not a perfect diced up verse, but there are people who are younger, whether um, chronologically or spiritually, and there are elders, hopefully more spiritually mature, further down the road spiritually. Um, <clears throat> and he says, Peter makes it really clear, you're to be subject to your elders. And he, he wants this with the hope that these are qualified elders that are pointing people to Jesus through the word of God. If these are elders are saying, hey, go become a Baptist, or go follow Calvin, or go follow Luther, or go follow Piper or MacArthur, no, that's not the idea. We want you to follow Jesus. We want you to follow Jesus, the God-man, according to the scriptures. We don't want you to follow the faith and message. We want you to follow the God of the Bible, Jesus Christ. And so that's the shepherd's role is to point you to Jesus. And he says very specifically, and he knows there's a temptation toward younger people to act in pride. And he says this, close yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There's a lot to be said here, but I'll just say this much. There was time that I was a young believer, super arrogant, fought against my pastors a lot, and now I'm an older believer, and I still fight against my pastor, myself a lot, <laughs> and also my pastor, Jesus Christ. We, we wrestle and struggle in terms of our own obedience and our submitting ourselves and conforming ourselves to the likeness of Christ. There's a struggle. And, I, and at the end of the day, it's, 
you're not going to win against God. It's not that wise to, be, to, to oppose God. It's so much better if I'm going to say, I'm going to humble myself in the way I relate to God, and things will go so much better. Um, and most of you, you guys were children in your home, or some of you guys are parents and have children in your home. Things are so much better when children, what? Submit to their parents, especially when the parents want so much good for their kids. Um, so see it that way. It's, it's good for you. Um, uh, there's so much to say, but I want you guys to have time to discuss but I want you to know, it's not a great thing to spend your time and effort to oppose God. There's so much more grace given to you when you choose to be humble. And if you don't choose to be humble, God will what? Humble you. And maybe some of the things that I'm going through in my life now is God humbling me. Um, I don't know exactly how it works, but I feel humbled. I feel weak. I feel inadequate. I feel and struggle through a lot of things. But know this. And this is a big perspective, divine truth. Members are to conduct themselves in humility. But know this bigger picture perspective as Peter's ministering to the saints here who are going through a terrible time. He says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he will exalt you. This phrase, under, under, <coughs> under the mighty hand of God, is the Old Testament symbol of God's power working in the experience of men and women to accomplish his divine and sovereign purposes. So there are times where God is really just saying, humble yourself in this season. It's not what you want to be doing. You don't enjoy suffering. You, don't be, you might be going through a Joseph experience. You're in prison unjustly, and you're like going through this like, man, my brothers were messed up. You know, why, why am I living in this way? But in the right time, God, what? He changed things up for Joseph and exalted him in a position of authority and leadership at the right time. You might be saying, hey, I don't like being an intern with Pastor Gary. This is painful working with him. Hey, this is a season, and may God may give you a better time and a bigger ministry if that's what he wants down the road. I don't know. Um, but there is a point where God says, hey, humble yourselves. Wait on him. And trust him for what that future, whatever may look. And there's no guarantee if this is going to be better or bigger. We may want better or bigger. There's no guarantee. You might think that the pastor, uh, well, there's a couple more things I'll hit. I have like a ton of application and it's going to hit this next section. So I want you to do a couple things. These are in application mode. One, pray for godly elders in this church. Pray that God will raise them up. Guys that love and treasure Christ above all else. Most pastors are married to a wife. Being a pastor or elder's wife is very difficult. There's a lot of joys, but there's a lot of pain. And there's a calling behind that too. And I pray that some of them will be raised up under Bree and Tracy's ministry under Bloom. And so I encourage you to go to be godly. And if God happens to you to, to find yourself married to a pastor's or deacon's wife, you know, you're more equipped for, toward that end. Praise the Lord. Um, if not, man, you're growing in godliness as a woman of God, and praise the Lord for that. So that's a thing to pray for. Um, <clears throat> to think through a couple other things, we don't normally talk about this, but I will put it out there. Why do we join a church? You know, is it like gym membership, so I use it for a little while <laughs> and don't use it later on? 
Um, no, there's some very practical way, reasons why we join a church. I just want to put it out there. I want to say joining a church is this normative. People were saved, baptized, and they joined a church. Um, and you want to go to the church for its main thing, for the gospel. They preach the gospel. They do their best to live the gospel. They want to be a gospel community. They sing the gospel. They pray the gospel. Um, they apply the gospel in biblical counseling, in gospel counseling primarily. Um, and there's systems. You can see clear systems for the gospel to be played out in discipleship and in fellowship and, and all those things. And the practice of communion, baptism, membership, discipline are all in play for the sake of the gospel and the life of the church. And so you also want to look at this place and say, hey, is this a place that is going to teach God's word in such a way that my kid will be a godly guy or, or gal one day? Is this the kind of church that I can find my spouse because it's preaching some good, good, good and godly stuff and you want to be aware of that? And so those are reasons and some thinking as you're thinking about finding a church. If you're thinking about leaving, I encourage you not to take the knee-jerk reaction or thinking that it's way greener on the other side. I want you to know, I am friends with the pastors in the big and cool churches around here. They do a lot of good stuff, but it, on the days they're real to me, they have the same challenges we have, but they just say it's a lot bigger because we have more people and more sin to deal with. Gary, you just deal with it on a smaller level of 50 people. It's just the reality between a bigger and smaller church. As you're thinking about leaving church, I encourage you to talk to me, an elder, pastor, and do so with grace, love, honesty, and don't feel like I'm going to hurt your pastor. I mean, it's just normal. Your pastor's been hurt a lot of times, and so he can just take more bullets and hurting. He's used to it, and hopefully he's mature enough he can walk through this with you. And since Jesus has hurt a lot, um, he, your pastor expects the same. We'll suffer together through Christ's suffering. Check your motives. Make sure you're not running from unresolved issues. Make sure you're not running for... <clears throat> for wrong reasons, and make sure you're not just simply just being impatient, that you give time to talk through things clearly, biblically, rationally, in a calm manner. And if you do and plan to go, don't leave and just throw the grenade into the church that you're leaving. In other words, talk smack and talk a lot of bad stuff on the way out. If you're truly a godly Christian and handling yourself in the way God would have you to, you would see whether your season was for six months, a year, five years, Evidences of grace that God brought into your life at your church for that particular season. I'm thankful for this. I saw God work in me this way. Or this was one big trial, and that was a means of grace that God brought in my life. It caused me to think really hard about certain issues. And so when you go, don't divide, don't poison, don't sow discord, and do everything you can to forgive hurts and talk to people very specifically that have hurt you. So... That's very practical stuff. Uh, maybe the, I'll skip to the last side and I'll leave you with this. Our hope is that we would be a kingdom-focused church, not a me-centered church. There are other good churches and ministries around us. And if God calls you to another church and you could thrive there, we want to bless you in every good way. If you feel that you could thrive and grow here, we welcome you in every good way. Um, but we want elders that are, and deacons and, and members, but the focus is on elders and sheep, that are skilled in knowing the gospel and ministering to you and where you're at and even kind of where the culture has brought you to this place. 
And it's hard. It's church, the culture is ever-changing. There's tons of dynamic. I don't have time to read on everything about this theory and that and this. I mean, I read articles. I do my best. But it's hard to be an expert on everything. Um, so there needs to be grace going both ways. Um, with elders, two members, and with members, two elders, as we, as we journey together. Um, it's a sign of maturity. It's a sign of a young church growing in a very healthy way. And so... And my hope is that the elders, type of elders that are groomed here, are elders that would lead out into the mission, not just be like, we're going to have this holy huddle of 50 people, the same people for 50 years, because we just want to be best friends and not reach out. No, we want to groom elders that can help build the church and reach the city well for God's glory and for our good and the good of the city. I'm going to pray, and we're going to turn, and we're going to encourage each other in good and healthy ways. Father, I thank you so much for this time to look at some heavy stuff related to shepherds and sheep. And I pray, Lord, that people would hear your voice in all this and know their shepherd and follow you, the chief shepherd. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, We have a question for you to munch on. Um, just to process, and then we'll have the music team come about in 10 minutes to, to close out.